So that way they can avoid the failure piece. And I tell them all the time, and I'll say it here, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for checking out the show. I appreciate it. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you have not been here before, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. Uh, you're here on a good day. You're here on a little bit unusual day. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, but again, if you're enjoying the show, guys, please do me a favor. Go into iTunes, go into Stitcher, go into whatever platform you're listening to the show on. Give me a rating and review. I'd appreciate it. I really would. It's huge for podcasters like me. Helps us get found and uh, it just makes us happy in general. So go do that if you haven't done it yet. I really would appreciate it. But guys, today we've got a good one for you. I have someone on the show who is a veteran of the real estate industry. He has been in the finance sector of real estate uh, for about 20 years now. He has been a successful branch manager at Security National Mortgage Company. He's a real estate entrepreneur. He is a super, po he's been on over 100 podcasts. This guy is a real popular guest on podcasts, and he's the author of four books. Uh, he's been in dozens of magazine articles. He's got his own YouTube channel, which we talk about a little bit in the episode. Uh, but I'll warn you, this is one of the, I think this might be the only time and uh, in all of my 400 plus episodes that I've done uh, where I've had to give a little disclaimer and say, listen, don't have your kids in the room when you're listening to this. Uh, the language is not horrible, but yeah, a couple, couple four letter words. So uh, if you're sensitive to that, or if you, you know, if you have your kids around, maybe just don't play this one in front of them. Uh, but that being said, like I said, it's it's pretty mild. It's nothing to get over that cons overly concerned about. But I have kids. I've raised kids. I understand. You don't even want to hear one word necessarily. So um, make sure you take those precautions. But that being said, guys, really fun guest, really interesting guy. Do not be distracted by that small little disclaimer. And again, it's 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 very mild, but still, uh, don't be discouraged by that because. This is a, uh, an episode you want to listen to. Very smart guy, really, really knows his stuff. Uh, his name is Aaron Chapman, and we talk about a lot of stuff, and there's a strategy inside this episode that he talks about for buy and hold investors specifically that I've literally never heard anyone talk about before. Very interesting concept and a different way of looking at your buy and holds and your profitability of buy and hold. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this, and without any further delay, I give you Aaron Chapman. Hey, Aaron, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking the time. I'm really excited to speak to you. I appreciate you, Mike. Anytime I can jump on and have a cool conversation with another cool son bitch out there, I'm not, I'm not going to turn down the opportunity. All right. Good deal. I appreciate that. I'm excited, man. I, I, I kind of do my uh, my investigation on folks beforehand to learn a little bit more about them. Uh, and uh, I have a, an assistant that helps me do some of that research and helps me kind of get organized. And she's like, you're going to have fun with this guy. Like he looks like he's a ton of fun. You guys are very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, you express yourself differently than I do in my message, but uh, it's the same. It's a similar message. And I like that. I, she's like, this guy's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear this one. So I'm excited when she gets excited like that, because she hears a lot of the, like she processes all my podcasts. She rarely ever says I'm looking forward to this one, but she said it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, man. It's going to be That's good. cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Thank you for that feedback. That's awesome. Yeah, no problem. Um, so let's let's give people a little bit more. We we kind of gave them an overview of you, but let's let's dig into it a little bit more and maybe dial back before you became the man you are today. Uh, where'd you get your start in business? Uh, how and why did you take that path, and and what did that look like in the early years? So the the start itself uh, went all the way back to you know the late nineties. You know, like. Well, I mean, take it back even further. Uh, I spent my high school years on a cattle ranch and you start to learn basic business uh, methodology because that's a business plan when you have to, yeah. when you're growing cattle, right? You have to follow a specific pattern. Yep. You don't follow the pattern, there's problems, but you can enhance the pattern, right? My dad figured out a cross between two different breeds that actually that cross in our particular environment led to some faster growth and faster uh, compounding uh, returns. So it was really kind of cool to see how that was all working. Then uh, you go later on in life, I was able to leave high school halfway through my senior year, went to work in Wyoming in the oil fields, then ran heavy equipment. I drove truck, ended up working in the mines in northern New Mexico with my dad. He had, they had sold the ranch with their partner and he went, went back to what he used to do, which was, which was mining. And I had the opportunity to be underground, 700 feet underground, drilling and blasting and you know playing with explosives. It's a phenomenal job. I absolutely loved it. 
And it was kind of cool to be able to think that I was drilling all these holes in the, in the, in the earth, packed it full of two cases of dynamite, step around the corner, blow it up. And I'm the first person in the world to see what's on the other side. It's kind of wow, cool, right? That is kind of cool. Um, plus you get to blow up shit underground. Who doesn't want to? And now I always then, hear mining real quick to be in the mining industry. It always is portrayed as being this God awful, like just, just like some of the most dangerous and dirty and hard work in the world. You sounded like you dug it, like you liked it. Were, did everyone like it like you liked it? Or were you just kind of unusual in that you liked it? I, I, I think that there might be a, bit, a little bit unusual uh, being in myself, but at the same time, there is a lot of people that just really liked it. It gets in your blood. And yeah. They get to where they're saying, like, after you've been underground a length of time, you can't do surface work. And it's kind of funny to, to say it that way, but they everybody say surface work sucks. Um, and funny. the people who didn't like it, they got out of it. Because believe me, it's unnerving as all hell to go down that deep in the earth and if, if your light's not working on your head, it is the darkest dark you'll ever feel. It's not just see, but feel. Right. It it creeps all the way into your into your soul. You feel it feels that damn dark there. But once you get going, you're just focused and you're cranking. And and everything you heard about what you said, that it's hard, that it's dangerous, and that's dirty, it was every bit of that. And I think that's what I liked about it. It was very, very hard. You had to adapt because you're using this drill machine that weighs... Uh, 160 pounds and you had to manhandle that to drill 30 holes in the in the rock face and it's uh they're six foot deep holes and each hole is only an inch around but it takes you about 10 minutes to drill through that rock and then do it again and again and again well you're picking up 160 pounds and pulling it up and moving it again and moving it again and then you have to pack that full of explosives you have to set up the timers right you got to step around blow it up you got to go dig it out support the ground and yeah. then start all over again. That's what they call the cycle. What is so, the, what is the most, what is the craziest thing you saw underground? Is there anything that you saw that you were like that it was wild? Like what what any any weird story, crazy things you saw? Well, there was yeah, a couple things actually. So um, my I think it's like my second or third day, maybe my fifth day underground, something like that. And it all looked the same to me. I, I All it is is a bunch of tunnels. I have no idea what was what. Yeah. But eventually you get used to what what's where. And they, my dad and our shift boss, uh, his name is Bill. They said, you need to go down to line five and pick up the timers. So that was the timers for the explosives, right? When you load it up, okay. you want certain things to explode at certain times, right? Because mm -hmm. it doesn't all blow up at the same time. You have to blow in succession. Okay. So like, they gave me a list of this is what we need for timers. So I said, well, how do I know it is? It just has the number five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on it. Grab me so many ones, so many twos, so many this. And so I went down to line five. They gave me literally a little drawing where I turn left here, turn right there. And you're just following tunnels <laughs> and they branch off. Yeah. And I took a loader down there. And what I did is I had to back into this tunnel and you can hear uh, a water pump in the background. Just this, it's, it was a pneumatic pump and it's just a loud hiss and a pump and that pushes back out. And you're hearing that sounds and backing in there. And it was getting eerier and eerier and eerier. I'm actually, I'm starting to get goosebumps as I talk about it. And you back up to this little cabinet and you open up the cabinet. It's a steel, it's a steel cabinet like you'd see at an office, just beat to hell, right? Yeah, yeah. And you open it up and it has all these pegs and it's got all these timers on it. And what they are, they're just long tubes that have a blasting cap on the end. And it's an it's a plastic tube that it, when you have a deck cord cuts a, a bundle of, of these timers, the size of the diameter inside those tubes would determine how long it takes for the blasting cap to go off okay. and set off the explosive. So I'm grabbing all these timers. I'm going as fast as I can and putting them in a box, putting in the loader. I'm hauling ass out of there. And I got back to where they were. I was like, I ain't going back over there. This is why I said that there's something about that that freaked me the hell out. My hair is standing up on the back of my head. I wanted out of that, that area. And they just started laughing. Like, what are you laughing at? And there's like, everybody says that. I was like, why is that? He said, there was a, it was a cave-in years ago. And I think five, if I remember correctly, five miners were killed in there. Oh. And ever since, there's something eerie about that. And I knew nothing about it. Yeah. So I'm like, he's like, there's the ghosts of those guys are there and they're messing with you. And I, I just didn't like going over there. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> the other thing that was really kind of crazy was I remember I'm drilling. After 21 days, I, I cycled my first heading, which... The head of the mine said that's the first time he's ever seen anybody cycle a heading in less than six months of experience. And I had my 21st day because 
my dad just turned me loose. He helped me and he said, listen, you know how to do this. I'll just turn you loose. Yeah. Well, as I'm drilling, I'm, I'm drilling sideways into the side of the, uh, of the, the, uh, the drift is what they call it. It's a tunnel. They call it the ribs. They call it the back is the top, the ribs are the sides. And then you got the face. It's like being inside an animal. Okay. As I'm drilling in the rib, I look over, my dad is drilling in the back and he's, and the back is on this, they're, they're 11 foot high uh, tunnels. So he has to, as he's drilling up so he can set his, uh, his support up there. He had to, there's a, it's called a jack leg drill. People have looked that up. It has this extending leg on it. So you have to keep drilling up. You keep turning the, uh, okay. what they call a cob on the handle and it just keeps raising the leg. Well, he stands on the leg to turn it loose, to turn it off. So the air would come down and he can catch it and bring mm-hmm. it down. And it's being guided by this long drill steel. Well, a massive chunk of rock that had to be probably about 15 feet. Well, no, probably about not 15 feet because it was about a 12 foot wide tunnel. So you're probably talking about 10 feet wide, literally barely fit in there by at least five to eight feet this way. And about six feet tall dropped out what looked like on top of it. Wow. And he jumped off of that, that jack leg as he's standing on it. He jumped and he leapt, but that rock hit his leg and propelled him into the rib. He bounced off the rib and hit the ground. So my dad's in his fifties. I shut off my machine. I ran over there. He gets back up just cussing. And he was fine. He just yeah. got a big bruise on his leg. He goes, these dang things. He goes, now I got to blast this damn rock to get it out of here. Yeah. So this thing about miners is these guys are very, very, very tough individuals. For him to have several tons of rock come down and damn near kill him. And the only thing he had to say is like, now I got to drill and blast this damn yeah, thing out right. of here. Put him behind in his progress. He hated that. You know, he had a cycle to get done, and we got we got bonus based upon how much footage. Now our bonuses go down because he has to spend his time breaking this damn rock. Oh my so gosh! There was there was a few da- things like that that we saw a lot of. I mean, there's many instances where he and I just working together. Those few months I was down there, we both should have been dead. But wow. God willing, we walked out and we kept walking out. And he's he's uh, alive and kicking still, 70 some odd years old. And he gets around better than most people in their 30s and 40s. <laughs> it makes it tough when you, I would imagine, you go through a, a job like that to hear people complain about a hard day or, you know, whatever. Like, it's just like you you don't know. You've never done anything like that. I, I, I didn't have a job like that for sure. But uh, the way I was raised and the things that we did, I, I just I don't have a lot of patience for people who complain about sitting behind a desk and you know, whatever, all day long. I know that can be tough. I get it. But um, there's some jobs that are really, really tough and dangerous for that matter, like life-threateningly dangerous. So that's cool, man. Well, you know, like, sitting behind a desk, it's hard. I mean, coming from that, you know, so when I left that, they what they did was they're shutting down the project. It was run by Unical. They're shutting it down. I was one of the first guys to get laid off, which sucked. Right. I thought, man, I got an awesome resume. I'll get another job pretty easy. And it went weeks without being able to find a job, then months to the point where desperation started to settle in. And I went to a place where it was the, literally I was trying to get a a truck driving job to how landscape rock for $10 an hour. I was that desperate. And they turned me down because overqualified according to them. As I drove away from there, wiping the tears from my eyes, I was 23 years old. um, I had to head to a grocery store. I had a coupon for diapers for my, for my son because he was, he was a, he was an infant Mm -hmm. um, or starting to be toddler. I guess he was crawling at that time. And uh, we didn't have any money to buy diapers. So as I'm my, on my way to get diapers, my gas light comes on in my truck. So now I need a fuel. So I pulled up to a gas station outside of the grocery store. I ran my debit card. I got a decline because my account was overdrawn. Without any other means of paying on me, I started rifling through my truck to find change. I found some coins. And then I started walking that parking lot for a couple hours. A couple hours later, I got enough change to buy two gallons of gas. Now, that's back when it was under a dollar. So if it was now, I'd been there for a day and a half, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and then I go inside and I get the corresponding diapers with the coupon. As I'm walking, I go face to face with the guy who used to do all the, the, the office work at a company I used to run heavy equipment for digging swimming pools. And when he asked me how things were and I recited my current circumstances, he said, let me take you to dinner. I have a client gave me a gift certificate to Red Lobster. I'll take you and your wife out tomorrow night. We went out and that's where he introduced me to this industry as a, to be a mortgage broker. You know, so I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved, I cleaned up. My mom actually bought me some, some uh, clothes to look semi-respectable as a, you would expect a person going to the banking world to do. Yeah. And I went in there and they started me as a telemarketer. And it was some of those miserable things I've ever done in my life. I absolutely hated yeah. telemarketing, but I learned a little bit of the art of the sale and it's really communication and conversation. If you can have that, you can get somewhere, right? Yep. Well, from there, it was, hey, let me work some of the leads I generated to 23 years later, here I sit 
with a with 30 employees. I, I closed 145 transactions last month for real estate investors, 1,100 so far this year. And we're on track to do, you know, we're going to be doing 200 transactions a month here in the near future. That's awesome. So making that transition, cutting a foot off your hair, doing doing all that, how long how long did it take before because you said it was some of the most miserable thing you'd ever done. How long did it take before you realized like, oh, this is I I think I can do this. Like I'm good at this. It took me about a year. So at the same time, you know, telemarketing does not pay any damn bills, right? Um, closing the deals, it takes 30 to 45 days to close a deal if they yeah. close, Yeah. right? Um, so I actually did get another job driving trucks. So I was driving to Sacramento and back, then to Vegas and back, and I'd spend three days a week in the office. And I started getting a few deals going, but it wasn't working real well. Well, then I went back and talked to the company, the same company that that guy used to work for that introduced me to industry. They put me back on as an equipment operator and I would start at 3 a.m. I'd work till noon. Then from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., I'd work in the office. I'd sleep about three to four hours a night for about a year. And then the interest rates dropped below 7%. Yeah. I started yeah. seeing the ability of 6.875 interest rate for, for people refinancing their primary residences. And then I put on like eight deals one weekend. So I spent a lot of time in prayer. And I try to do that even still, constantly. You know, it's communicating with with with, with deity outside of myself, right? To get, get direction and get my mind focused, right? Yeah. And I prayerfully considered when I would stop digging and go full force into this. And it was after that weekend that I felt comfortable that I can make this happen. I was able to replace my income. And I did. And it wasn't easy. It was still struggling, you know, doing three, four transactions a month. And I remember December of 2018. Yeah, December of 2018. I actually went to the office on Christmas Day. Because a guy and his son that lived together wanted to refer their house. And that was the only day they would meet with me. So I went in, I opened up the office by myself, sat in the conference room, did their loan application, processed it through, sent it to closing that next month. My only closing that was going to happen in January 2019. That was it. My only income that month. I called the title company. Hey, we haven't seen the docs back yet. They're like, oh, well, they signed with somebody else. Like, well, wait a minute. They signed with somebody else. They had my documents. They said, well, no, they signed this one. And it was an, and I'm like, so I called the guy up. I'm like, well, what, what's the deal here? I heard you signed with somebody else. He goes, yeah. He goes, they had a better rate. I'm like, well, what was the rate? It was an eighth of a percent better. Wow. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you call me? He goes, it was whoever gave me the best deal I'd sign. I was like, I went in on Christmas day. He's like, hey, that's the business. You wanted a business, you have to sacrifice. And he hung up on me. Wow. So I learned at that moment Nobody cares about you. They really could give a shit less. I thought that if I did the extra mile for people, they would do the extra mile for me. No, they don't care. So you either have what they need or you don't. And if you don't, you figure that out early and don't bend over backwards for them. Now, does it mean I don't bend over backwards for people? Hell no. We take care of people like crazy. You can't close 145 transactions a month without doing something extra. Yeah. Is it even? No. Is it extremely hard? No. But do we have an accord at the gate? Yes. We have an understanding. I want people. I go for the no now. I seek the no out of the gate. Yeah. I want them to tell me no first. So I don't have to do what I did then. It was a very early lesson. Now, did I learn it? Fully then, no. I had to go through it several times and really get to it until yeah. I finally figured out you have to get them to tell you no or to the point where you can't get them to say no. One of the two. So you said back, it's 2018, December 25th. That was the only deal you did that month. And then at this point, you're trending up to 200 deals per month, right? No, I have to actually change the dates there because I've been in this 23 years. That was actually uh, 1990, 1998, 1999. Sorry. Okay. I was going to so, say, wow, you've had a tremendous explosion in the last year and a half. Okay. Sorry okay. about that. No, so, no, no. That's yeah, okay. 1998. Holy cow. I can't believe that that much time has gone by. Wow. So yeah, 1990 is December of 1998. Gotcha. Um, then January two of 1999 and now where we sit today, which is, you know, 20 plus years later and yeah. it's a, it's a whole different world. Okay. Very good. Very good. So you started back in the nineties. Now we're, we're trending up, like we said, 200 a month. So talk to me about that a little bit. Like, I, I don't know enough about your story to know, like you worked for somebody back in the nineties, I, I assume. I don't know. Was it your yeah, company? Work, okay. work for a broker. Gotcha. What, what, when did that transition or, or has that transi transition? What does that look like now? Your brokerage, what does it look like now? And how did you get to that point? 
So ultimately, it was from there. It was working. Uh, went there to a to a banking entity, then to another banking entity, and then eventually, I found my way to Countrywide Home Loans as a loan originator. Then a their first sales manager in the history of the company to starting their first satellite office in the history of the company to then taking over a branch within the company to 2008 happening. Then I get in a motorcycle accident August 8th of 2008 in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know if you're familiar with what the temperature is like here in August, but I, I not only snapped both my legs, you know, cr- uh, you know, bunch of ribs crushed. I had a damned, uh, you know, a collapsed lung. Memory was lost. I sat there on the pavement and baked at 1224 in the afternoon. I woke up in the hospital with a whole different change in my world. And from there, I had to go back to one, I had to get my memory back, make my mind work. I had to learn how to walk again. I had, you know, I woke up with a beard. So I left the beard till I learned how to walk again and all those things. And then I came back into an industry that I started working with the turnkey investor by happenstance. And that's where it started to grow from there. We worked with the investor a lot from 2003 on because of them coming into Arizona like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I understood them. But now I take that understanding and super and, and really supercharge it with the, with the turnkey investor and the people buying across the country. Well, then it evolved from just finding institutions that wanted to work with me that I wanted because I wanted to work with investors. And it took a lot to find it. But I finally stumbled into the firm I'm with now, which is Security National Mortgage Company. I run a branch here with a staff of 30 and I'm a licensed loan originator here and I pretty much run my own business. They just support the hell out of me. But I have the support of a large corporation to, to help me get it done. I hang my licenses with them. I'm not interested in starting my own. I'm not interested in the the, the compliance or the legalities of it, all yeah. that mess. I just want to produce. I just want to talk to investors. I just want to help them become successful in their investments. And that's where my focus is. And as a result of that focus of just really understanding the real estate investor, where they succeed, where they fail, how can I give practical data to the real estate investors trying to get into that market on what decisions they could make based upon stories to make them successful so that way they can avoid the failure piece. And I tell them all the time, and I'll say it here, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. My experience is very, very vast compared to my contemporaries who are doing two to three transactions a month where I'm doing 145 mm. and I'm focused on only one type. Yeah. What I've decided is rather than work with first-time home buyers or veterans or or FHA or rural housing or any of those things, focus on one thing. Because I've found that if you try to be everything to everyone, become nothing to no one. Yeah. So I focus on the one group of people I really understand. And occasionally I get others in there and it just tends to almost like blow up. It's like, that's not our superpower. Why are we even yeah. taking that deal on? Yeah. Right. But it, it is what it is. We do our best with it and we go back to what we're really good at. Awesome. Why did you decide to focus on investors? What was the reason for that? I mean, well, you, you said like niching down and being specific. I get that. But before you realized why that was so great, why initially did investors attract you? Why, why that group? Well, because they made sense on why they're buying the property. It, it cash flows or it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to create a return or it's not. It's not about it's the perfect house on the perfect street with the perfect master closet. My life will be perfect when it's done, even though I can't afford it. But it's right. My right as an American to get this house. My <laughs> yeah. sister-in-law has one. Yeah. I got to have one better because she's a bitch and I can't stand dealing with her at family outings, right? <laughs> yeah. I saw too much of that crap. Yeah. In fact, the very last one that was my last straw, I was done with the owner-occupied stuff, was when some people came to me for a prequel. They claimed the difficulties on their on their their credit report had to do with a medical situation in their family that was un, that was un, um, unavoidable, right? Yeah. They had to deal with that. Now, in a situation like that, you should be able to prove it and move forward, right? It was a one-time thing. Well, I said, you give me proof, we can make it work. Well, they never even got a prequal letter. They went and made an offer on a house. And then they not only just offered on the house, they convinced the seller to let him take occupancy. Then the seller moves out. The seller didn't wow. have any place to go but stay in their van. Well, not only did the seller move out and stay in their van, but the buyer put in a pool fence, remodeled the house, moved walls, literally spent money and moved walls. And when we're having a struggle, we're struggling to close it on the closing date because all they did was drop a contract on me. I'm calling everybody and it's like, guys, we're still trying to figure this out. Yeah. And the agent lit me up saying, what the hell's the matter with you? These people have moved in the house. It starts telling me all this stuff and blaming me. Like, well, well, wait a minute. You never got a prequal letter from me. Yeah. It's like, well, it's you don't get this closed. It's your fault. Wow. 
And we had to go through all kinds of hell and finally get it closed. And one of something, we didn't get a single call of gratitude. It was, they lit me up about how miserable that transaction was and how much we suck. And they had to go through all this stuff to get it done. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with realtors. I'm done with first time home buyers. I'm done with home buyers, right? Because it's not everybody's like that, but I cannot stand the fact that people love to point the finger somewhere else. Then you start working with real estate investors and they, they analyze the deal heavily. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense, they do not close. Now it has its own problems, right? I can I can get a deal almost all the way ready to, to close, and they're like, ah, oh, we looked at the inspection, we don't want to do it. I'm like, why didn't you inspect the damn thing two weeks ago? Yeah. But yeah. I at least understand it's like makes sense. We'll just convert your file to the next one. We keep moving forward. I'm fine with that. Yeah. We deal with that well. The only time we don't deal with that well is when there's a real estate agent involved. I don't know what it is about agents, but they're the most unrealistic people that don't understand the market. They don't follow up with what's going on in the lending. They don't know what's happening in the appraisals. They don't know what's happening in the title world. They just want to close in 25 days and they bitch when nobody else makes it happen. Yeah, that's funny. I, I've had similar experiences in my time. You mentioned, though, when you were kind of talking about the real estate investing side of it, you have all this experience and you know what happens you know what makes a good successful transaction and what real estate investors do that that works and you know when they fail and, and some of the reasons why they fail. Can we talk about some of those? Like maybe let's start with failures. What do you see sure. in, in the industry among real estate investors that makes them fail? So the biggest thing that I've noticed is their their focus is initially in the wrong place, right? Um, they go at it from a consumer perspective, like they're spending money and going into debt. Because of that, they overlook really, really good opportunity because they're looking for a specific cash on cash return because they read this, this blog on bigger pockets and this guy got a 14%. So I better get a 14%. Yeah. They don't realize that's the guy's one great deal, right? All the other ones are yeah. nine. Yeah. He had a 14. Nobody's going to say, Hey, guess what? I got a par deal. Everybody's going to talk about all the stuff that was better, right? The same reason that Vogue magazine doesn't have a picture of the person on the cover just getting out of bed. Yeah. They don't want that person to look like everybody else. They want to show $10,000 worth of makeup. Yeah. It's the same damn thing. So what I explained to them is like, there's a real, there's a, there's a real return here. It's being overlooked. And where that comes into is the, the people who are successful, who look at this from a CEO perspective, the owner of a real estate investment firm versus a consumer who's trying to find a way to retire. Quit thinking of it as retirement, think of it as a business. And when you change that mindset, it changes the dynamic of what you're looking at. So when I get into that, I work a, a lot with your, with your people that are bringing investors in, marketing for investors to help educate them on how to start a business up, right? So I would, I would venture to say that those people who are selling them properties in multiple parts of the country would be like a fractional or basically like a COO, right? The chief operations officer helping them run their business by looking at varied markets explaining different parts of the uh, the opportunities that are out there, introducing them to specific turnkey sellers in that market who's going to source, acquire, rehab, manage, maintain their business, right? So you literally have an operations division that comes with the deal for free. Some people say it's not free because, well, we paid full market value for the house and we're paying property manager. You do that anyway. Let's say you drove the streets and you found a realtor listing a house that you know you could rent out. Mm -hmm. Well, where's the realtor when it's done? Yeah. After they're done bitching about it not closing exactly the way they wanted it to because they did all their work of writing the damn contract, they disappear. They're gone. The best you get from them is a is a gift a Christmas card every December with a picture of them and their damn cat with a sweater on, right? Yeah. So they're gone. They're out of it. Now you're having to fend for yourself for getting property manager, which you still have to pay the 10% for it. Well, if you have people that do that day in and day out, you literally get an operations division with experience for free. The other thing of it is, I tell them, look at me as not just a lender. Yeah, we close loans, but I'm here to give you things to consider from a financial perspective as you're making decisions about your business. One of the things is, is let's analyze the deal. And we're going to do some math together if you're okay with that, yeah, Mike. I see sure. you're writing some stuff down. Sure. So I'm going to have you write down these equations and you're going to tell me answers and I'll oh, either confirm boy. or correct, right? All right, here we go. This is going to be embarrassing. Yep. <laughs> you asked for it. So that's what happens. You ask a question to me, man. I mean, I'll bring a question right back. So we're going to look at, you know, just for the majority of my clients are buying turnkey single families. So let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollar investment. Okay. A hundred thousand dollar acquisition. Yeah. 20% down. Yeah. 1% rent to value ratio. 
with a 30-year fixed loan and a $200 a month in cash flow. Wait a minute. 1% rent of value. Got it. So that's $1,000. Yep. Got it. Sorry, I missed the other part. 20% uh, down. I got that. 20% down, uh, 30-year fixed, Okay. $200 a month in cash flow. Okay. Does any of that sound completely out there? Does it seem like, no. an, like a completely no. farce? No. Nope. Very reasonable, right? Yeah, very reasonable. So let's do some quick math here. Okay. You've got a $100,000 acquisition. You're putting 20% down. What yep. dollar amount is the 20%? Uh, it's twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand bucks. That means you're going to finance what dollar amount? Eighty thousand. Eighty thousand. Not tough math yet, right? Not, not yet. Not yet. Not so, yet. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get there though. So and uh, if you have a, you did your job as the CEO of your business and you picked the right property, right? That stays reasonably rented for the entire time that you own. Let's just say yep. most of the time, or if anything, enough to be able to, let's just take the cash flow and set it aside. Sure. You had enough cash flow. You never paid a payment. It's always covered by, by tenants over time. Yep. Well, let's just say you've got a um, constantly being, like I was saying, just constantly being occupied. Who's paying off the mortgage? The people who are renting the house. People that are renting the house. Exactly. So the tenants are paying for the mortgage, yep. right? So let's take that mortgage is being paid by somebody else and divide that over 30. So that's 30 years. It takes them 30 years to pay it off. So let's take the third, the, the $80,000 divided by 30. What do you get? $80,000 divided by 30. I get uh, $2,666. And 66 cents, right? Repeating, yes. So if you divide that into the 20,000, what percentage is that? Because 20000 is your investment. That's your money. 13%. 13. 13.33% is yep. what you're growing. Your 20000 just by having somebody occupy the property, is growing by 13.33% of the original 20000 every single year. Has yep. anybody ever talked about that? No. that's I've never heard no. anybody depict it that way. No. No, they don't even talk about that. They always look at, you know, your cash on cash, what's your cash flow coming in. They forget about the fact that somebody is paying off the asset. It yeah. for some reason gets overlooked. So then let's go into the next thing, okay. what's happening here. So we live in an inflationary environment, correct? Yep. You know what the rate of inflation is today? I do not. So the government's going to claim it's sub two. But if you really okay. want to start getting into the numbers of the CPI, it's actually heating up to about three plus percent. Okay. And then if you want to add in the things that they do not add in, food costs, energy costs, some parts of housing, and do they add in taxes? No. When you add all that in there, we're actually heating up over 10% in most places. And we have a money supply going through the freaking roof. So you know more inflation is coming. Yeah. No matter what people want to say, inflation is definitely doing a lot more damage to us than what we're seeing. So I'm going to say, because we're investors here, we're cautious with our money. We put it in specific places. We don't piss it away the way consumers do, the, the common consumer. So let's say we're at a 7% inflation. Okay. What's happening to the, the spending power of the dollar with inflation? It's going down. It's declining, yeah. right? So that means we get to raise rents, correct? Yes. So I've seen some indexes say that across the country, you're going to see about 3.6% in apartments. Now, it's skewed right now because you got New York, which has seen as much as a 17% decline in rents yeah. just in, during the COVID situation. When you start looking over in St. San Francisco, all these high population areas are having a massive effect on it. But when you stick with where investors are staying, Missouri, Tennessee, Texas, Indiana, uh, the Carolinas, that kind of thing you start to see that that 3% is actually 3.6% is pretty reasonable. Yeah. So let's say you're just going to do 3% on this deal. We have a 1% rent to value ratio. What is that dollar amount per month? Thousand. Thousand bucks. What is 3% of a thousand? Because that's what we're going to raise at year two. 3% of a thousand, 30. 30 bucks. Nothing sexy, right? It's a, nope. it's a latte in San Francisco. Yep. So you've got a $30 growth. That's not hard to get sold to your tenant. Yeah. Well, your cash flow is $200 year one per month. What's the cash flow year two? What, what are we doing here? Three, adding $30 times 12 adding 30 on top bucks. of it. So, so you got $12,000 plus 30, 12 is 300, what, 3,600 bucks? I don't know. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? So you, yeah. 360 bucks. So 1,360 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, one thousand three hundred sixty bucks. So it's actually a thousand thirty bucks if you're talking about a monthly. Yeah, thousand so thirty. Yeah, thousand thirty bucks. You start, yeah, you know, combining three hundred sixty. 
yeah. an annual. So 1030 bucks is is where you're at. So that means, but now reasonably you didn't see a whole lot of change in your in your monthly outgo on that. Because granted, you're probably not gonna have a big jet tax jump, you're not gonna have a big insurance jump your second year. So it's reasonable to believe you're probably gonna have a $230 a month cash flow, right? Yep. You just got a 15% compound growth in your cash flow. Every time you raise rents, that's a compound growth in your cash flow. Yeah. People are not realizing that. They're so busy running the numbers on year one, they fail to realize their business because of inflation grows year two, year three, year four. Yeah. Now, I realize inflation's on the rise, right? So if inflation's on the rise, are you really getting a 15% a, a return? Well, let's think about this. If we're ga gauging it on 7%, does the lender get to raise the payment on the loan to pace inflation or does it stay fixed for 30 years? Fixed. Fixed for 30 years. So now I'm going to quote a rates about a one point higher than what I've been locking people at lately. I'm going to quote 4.5%. I've been locking people a lot lower than that lately for 30 year fixes, but I just want to throw this out there because I don't know how long we're going to keep that. Right. So on a $100,000 acquisition with 20% down, you're going to pay 402, see, $405.35 a month. That's what that's going to be. If you add that up over 30 years, that's 80,000 principal, $65,925.37 interest for a, whole, for a total of $145,925.37 for 30 years of payments, right? They're not going to raise that 405.35. It stays the same for the entire 30 years. But the value of the instrument you're returning that money back with is losing value at a rapid pace. So when we factor just a 7% compound effect that inflation has on that number, mm -hmm. you may have given them $145,925.37. But when you recalculate the value, the, the sum of all those dollars compared to the day you bought that $100,000 asset with their $80,000, you literally paid in the back only $60,926.91 in actual dollar value. Hmm. You start looking at the gap. Yeah. You're raising your rents. You're compounding right. your income. Right. You're getting your 20,000 growing at 13.33% annually. You're paying them back with something diminishing at least 7% of its value every single year. Who in the hell is winning in this environment? Yeah. No, that's a great way of looking at it. I've never heard of articulated that way because people don't look at it that way. They just look at the, the first year cash on cash times, you know, whatever. Like that's the way they're looking at the returns. Um, and I've never heard inflation really being mentioned in rental properties in that discussion. It's really never talked about, to be honest with you. Um, so that's well, huge. for the most part, people are trying to equate inflation to the to the um, appreciation of the property. They're not right. realizing that a thirty year fixed loan is where the real magic happens because you have now secured an asset at today's value, but you're paying it back at tomorrow's value and you've hedged inflation. Right. So I know that people talk about compound interest being the eighth wonder of the world and look it up. Einstein actually never even said that. He oh, was he I just saw that quote today. Today I saw that <laughs> online. That's hilarious. Well, I think it was the Wall Street Journal put that out in the, in the early 80s that yeah. Einstein said that when there was no record of it before that and Einstein died in 1955. Right. There's nothing out there to evidence that. Yeah. But the one yeah. thing there, the one evidence I do have of anybody saying something about compound interest and how it's affected people, but Shawnee Carson talked about compound interest being the greatest destroyer of things, but le but leaves building standing. And it was the 70, 17% interest rate that he talked about on the Tonight Show. Oh, that's that's way back, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing I could find of, of any sort of evidence of somebody actually saying something to that effect. It's a misattributed quote, maybe something somebody made up and nobody fact-checked it. Yeah. But ultimately, compound interest is, it, it, it's, it's a true quote. They're not wrong in what they're saying. Yeah. But what they're wrong about is, is it's a it's how it affect is on the real estate investor with a 30-year fixed loan. Yeah. A 30-year fixed loan literally destroys that compound interest for you because of the inflationary environment we live in. Yeah. So once I help people understand that there's hundreds of percent return on this little investment, the lights just kick on and that's where they just start plowing forward. Now, the big risk I have is they don't go from just one D into one deal. I get 10 contracts. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to put the brakes on first. Figure out your footing before you jump into this. Let me figure you out. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a rather complex process to get your loan done. And right now we have way too much coming into the system to get it out in time. So let's go one at a time. Just yeah. buying 10 of them, slow it down. There's another deal. Now, I know you think this is the last deal on earth. There's another deal behind it. Yeah. 
patient, be deliberate, and take the time to understand what you're getting into and look at it from the CEO perspective. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So when you see people, first of all, a couple of things. I, it sounds to me like the loans that you're doing for investors are buy and hold type people. You're not loaning money to house flippers or anything like that. No, I'm your your regular, you know, regular U.S. citizen that's buying, that's just working a day to day job, looking to figure out how am I going to retire someday. I want to start a side business. Well, here's how you can do it, and I help them buy the property, single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex, sit on it for you know 15, 20 years, do a cash out refi, buy some more, never refinance for interest rate. That's a complete waste of time, money, and energy only for cash out, only to expand your holdings. Okay, gotcha. And that 4.5%, which is a little bit conservative, you're doing it lower than that, but you said you don't know how long it's going to last. That 4.5% is for investment properties you're talking. You're not talking, obviously, you're not doing it this for the homeowner, so um, for investment properties. That's interesting. What are the rules, for the people who don't know, what are the rules regarding the number of properties that you can hold in your name with a traditional loan like this? So your traditional conventional loans allow for 10 finance properties in your individual name. Okay. Right. And then people will go beyond that. There's institutions out there that will do uh, loans beyond 10. But I always encourage people form an entity, work with that in that that company and figure out that lender, figure out what kind of entity can you form that they can lend money to, not to you individual, to your entity. And then you borrow in the name of your entity. You'll probably have to give personal guarantees, but ensure it's not something appearing on your credit. That's not something you're individually borrowing. That's not something you're individually purchasing. You can keep growing that. And if you ever sell one of the 10 that's financed with conventional financing, you can replace one of those 10, right? Okay. And I have many people who their spouse will get 10 and they'll get 10, provided they can both qualify separately. What's interesting about that, we have to go through the combined tax return, separate whose income is whose, give that for qualifying. Mm -hmm. But then we also, any debts that they share, you have to qualify them with the full debt payment of whatever that is. And you also get to, you get to qualify them with their joint assets. It has to be joint. So it's a little bit of some nuances there, but it works very, very well. Yeah. I like that. And you have, you have rental properties, you have your own investment properties. How do you, first of all, why did you, why you decided to, to get them is pretty obvious, right? It was investment, it's a business, but how do you decide, how do you make that decision? Because I know we talked a little bit before we jumped on air here about you're in a bunch of different states. Why go in a bunch of different states? Why not just go where, where you live and kind of where you know the market? Uh, why did you decide different states? Well, I'm in Arizona <laughs> and this market's really, really expensive for what you return you get. You, yeah, so okay. I focus on where a deal just pops up and a deal pops up that makes sense. I just jump on it. Okay. Right? So it's not something where I believe that, um, you know, I target one specific state over another, but I have just noticed that the South and the Midwest just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it there's does. a lot of good deals out there. They're, they're markets that people have been renting forever and they'll keep renting, yep. right? Here, it's not quite not the same situation. Here, you buy a house and you can't get that 1% rent-to-value ratio. Yeah, yeah, totally. So wh- how do you find deals? Just out of curiosity, wh- where are you finding deals? Because you're, you're saying wherever they pop up in different states. So what's the mechanism there? Well, since I have my footprint is so broad and wide across 26 states, they they find me. Okay. And the thing of it is, is, you know, a lot of people say, well, are you targeting one specific area, target one specific source? I can't because they're so, they move so fast that by the time I even see it, it's already in contract and coming over to me for getting a loan. So <laughs> I, it, yeah. it's, I have to focus where I am best suited. And right now I'm best suited to build my lending business up and, and focus there and focus on my YouTube channel more so than anything, because what I found in my books and that kind of stuff. But the reason I found that I, if I try to do that, I get distracted. I get yanked over to stuff. And I'm trying to analyze deals. And, and then I'm also competing with my clients. Yeah. You know, so I've decided I had to come to terms with this and understand that this is like the gold rush of the 1800s. Yeah. The guys who made the most money during the gold rush, so they're not the not the miners themselves, is the guys selling the picks and shovels, right? Yeah. So I have to understand I'm a pick and shovel salesman, but the difference between me and those guys back then is I am very concerned at where the shovel or the pick goes into the ground at. Because if they go to the wrong place, the pick and shovel becomes gardening tools and it's of no value to any of us. Yeah. But if I help direct them to find where the gold is and they start digging and then they need more than just a pick and a shovel. They might need a truck. Then they need personnel. They're going to need heavy equipment. And I pray to all things holy, they need a freaking train because if they (laughs) do and I've done my job, then they come to me for all of that. And I become wealthy because they become wealthy. If they start to fail, 
then my failure is coming down the path fairly quickly. Yeah. I violently oppose failure. And because of that, I am very, very interested in ensuring the success of those I work with. Yep. I love it, man. You mentioned your YouTube channel. Can you tell the folks where they can find that? What I want to know the name of it, but then we'll talk about a little bit what's on there. Okay. So I'll talk about what's on there first. Okay. Before I get the name, because I want to put people off with the name. So what it <laughs> was is I've, I've been a guest on well over a hundred podcasts. And because of that, I've had a lot of people ask me, when are you starting your podcast? I'm like, well, I just, I couldn't get, I, it's like, there's a lot of podcasts, right? I don't know how to differentiate myself. How do you differentiate yourself in the message on a podcast? Well, I got thinking, well, let me do something different. I'm going to go with the YouTube thing. And I love going outdoors. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love, I used to do hiking and stuff. I used to be on the rescue unit for the sheriff's office for 10 years. I ran their technical rescue unit. I love four wheeling, shooting all these things, right? So what I decided to do was I decided I would start a channel where I get together with people that business leaders that have a message. And we spend an entire day with cameras and drones going and we go either rock crawling, we'll go shooting, sometimes hunting, fly fishing, boat fishing, all these different things we'll do. And then at the end of the day is when after we built that relationship, we sit around the campfire or we stand around the campfire and we have that discussion, that podcast style story. And if you don't have a good campfire story, then you ain't got shit as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So you haven't lived a life if you don't have anything to tell around the campfire. Well, that's where it started. And it started with me and a couple of buddies that are business owners here in Arizona. And then it ended up dominating where we didn't really launch that. They ended up becoming co-hosts. And then we got another buddy of mine who goes four-wheeling with us. He's co-host. Then we got a camera guy and another camera person. And next thing you know, we produced this channel. Now, I wrote these books. I wrote a book, right? And I broke it up into multiple different small books, 30 pages or less. And I just released a chapter and I wrapped the chapter up with, uh, with, with its own cover. And instead of calling them a book series, I called them the Quit Jerking Off Initiative because that's book number three. Okay. And I'll just show you the cover here. You know, Quit Jerking Off. That's me inside my cabin in Missouri, which used to be a chapel back in the 1800s. Oh, wow. So I'm dressed like a preacher. That's cool. And I'm actually, I'm actually an internet preacher, so I could, I could wear that. So <laughs> then I decided, well, the YouTube channel is going to have to domino off it. So it's called the QJO Initiative or the Quit Jerking Off Initiative brought to you by SGOC Media. And so if you want to go to the channel right now, which is uh, youtube.com slash quit jerking off, no G in there, quit jerking off slash videos, you'll see the channel pop up. Okay. When the channel pops up and you click on it, you'll see this, this, this um, gorilla-like um, logo, right? And he's got, a lo- he's got a long braided beard coming off him with a hat. <laughs> and because the reason that is SGOC Media is Silverback Gorilla on Coke. And the reason I call it that is because that's how I go about my business. That's how I go about my life, like a Silverback on Coke. If, if, if you can imagine what a silverback is like, they're very, very, they have a lot of dexterity. Yeah. They're emotional creatures. They take care of their own. They actually collaborate with other tribes. They're an interesting creature, huh. but you can imagine what happens when they got to get something done and they take a hit because <laughs> that's how I go about my thing. So that's why we created that media, ch- that media uh, brand. And so now we have uh, 10 episodes out. And we've got some really, really good content for people giving life lessons. Yeah. That's what it is, that conversation around the fire. Well, the last one, as you can see in the background here, is Adam Venetary's ranch just shortly after he had uh, he had retired from the Colts. And he was now, he and I are hunting together with me and my co-host. And he and I are sitting in a hunting blind together, having deep discussion about his life. And we were able to put some of those clips up there, only about That's 10 awesome. minutes because we're trying to keep it keep it concise. Yeah. And it was just a really cool experience to be able to listen to where he came from and how he got where he's going. Yeah. And there's a lot more data we're going to be sharing over time. But it's just you know one of many amazing stories. And his yeah. story is just as amazing as many others on there. And I just encourage people, go and listen to what people have to say about what experiences they've had. And we're going to keep this going and yeah. uh, just keep going nonstop. Adam Vinatieri, the most clutch kicker in the history of the NFL. The guy's has some amazing game winning game winning kicks that must have been a, I mean as a huge football fan myself that must have been an absolutely blast to hear that guy's story and talk about his life I'm definitely going to go check it out I want to hear it oh that's, that's cool it was it was it was a really really cool environment we got to he got to share four stories on film that are there there's probably a dozen of them right yeah and we had three days with him just hanging out and just having a blast and those four stories were, were was amazing information and we've got another one we're going to be pulling off with him down the road. That's I'm not even going to share it. It's going to be really, really cool if we can pull it off. 
but it's there's something about being able to sit in an environment like that where the 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 stress is off and you're just talking and you get a camera in the background where you forget the camera's there. Yeah. And it's a good thing that that you know <laughs> we have a really good camera guy that can edit the hell out of stuff because <laughs> he comes back later and I'm like, hey, do you have any problems with what we with, with what we're gonna put out there? He goes, Yeah, can you edit out some of those words? There's there's certain words in there I just don't need the whole world to keep hearing me saying over and over again. So Mike, they got some really awesome editing going. That's awesome. because um, we you're hunting you're having a good time. But the the lessons there I think go back to for for children. I mean, yeah. it talked about his childhood and that, because I asked people, what's the best, worst thing that's happened? As in the worst thing that could have ever happened in your world to end up propelling you to be who you are and to be more successful. And he takes it all the way back to being 10, 11, 12. And mm-hmm. that's where the Adam Benetieri was defined. So this is not just business people need to listen. Get, your kids need to hear that. Yeah. They need to understand that what they're going through right now is going to be the catalyst for what they are tomorrow. You're either going to throw up your hands and give up and become nothing, or you're going to dig in and realize that your character traits that you do and the habits that you form today are going to be what you become tomorrow. And everything that become, like you said, the greatest clutch kicker. Hey, at the time that you retired, the highest scoring uh, person in the NFL's history. You know, yeah. all these things that he had all goes all the way back to 10, 11, 12. It is a, it, it, we have a duty to the next generation. We have a duty to our children to help them to find where is that power within to, to decide that you're going to do something even that young. I didn't decide till I was, until I was 40. I was not start doing certain things. And when I decided and I took the time to really focus, leaps and bounds started to happen. Like, damn it, why did I listen to those people back when I was a kid? Now I'm <laughs> yeah. preaching to the kids and they're not listening. No, man. But I'm going to keep preaching. Well, they say that wisdom is wasted on the youth. Like it just, they, it's hard. It's hard. You Sometimes you have to go through certain things to believe that it's true. Because it, if we could just tell our kids and they would listen to us and take, I have older kids now. If they would just listen to what I tell them and just, just trust me and don't, don't overthink it. I could, I, they could avoid a lot of heartache, but sometimes you just have to, you have to run your head up against the wall to know that the wall is going to hurt you. You, you touched on it earlier and I want to kind of wrap up a little bit. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'm, I always love when I know that there are things that, uh, folks that I interview that they're involved in, that's not just about making money and, and, and just crushing it in, in the world of business. But, uh, you've done some things, like I said, you touched on it. You were, uh, in that rescue unit. Talk to me a little bit about that, what that was like, why you did it. I know your wife was involved too. Why, why did you guys do that? And what was that experience like? So the reason I stepped into that world is pre, pre-accident in 2008. I was a runner. I was a climber. I go hike every mountain I could find. Um, just a love being outdoors. And then when my legs were taken from me and I had to learn how to walk again. Now, they weren't taken, taken. They were just shattered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to go through that process. And I was able to get back outdoors. I wanted to do it for a different purpose than just for me. And that's when I was introduced to the rescue world. And I started that. And then I started to excel within it. You know, the, cause the climbing background, I took over their, their technical rescue unit. I started up their off-road rescue unit. I did the air rescue stuff and it was just really awesome. And then it just started to find that I was, we were being not used as much as we needed to be before the department expanded what they had. And we weren't, you know, there was no, not as big a need for the volunteer side. And so I had to decide who can I help more. And at that point, I decided to help the real estate investor more and pour my my heart and soul into that. Yep. And that's why I finished the books and all these other things. Now I'm going beyond all that. And we've also started championing the Operation Underground Railroad. We're donating tens of thousands of dollars there with every closing we do, right $50 for every closing. And for doing hundreds a month, you can see how much it grows. Yep. Now, the the thing about I mean rescue was awesome. To see to go in there and to go deep into the the deserts or the mountains around Arizona and getting the shit kicked out of you all day long to finally get to somebody to where now the real work is yeah. coming. It's 118 degrees out there. You get to them 15 hours later. They're in bad shape. You're in bad shape. But you have to ignore the pain you're going through to get that person stabilized. Get them into a place where you can get them out call for a helicopter and get an extract, get them on board, stay cognitive enough to do all this medical treatment to get them out and then do a handoff with the fire department or something. It was a big deal. It was tough. There was a lot of real crazy rescues. I mean, you know, going off cliffs after base jumpers, going down to crevices for geocaches that fell into a crevice. Um, it's snow in Arizona. One of the craziest things I've ever seen, I had a person with major, major, um, uh, she was soaking wet and she had, uh, she was, uh, dehydrated. She also had uh, hypothermia. I couldn't even find a vein, but I had to get a line in her in the middle of the night wow. and get a fire going and all that. It was just crazy. Just awesome stuff. Amazing stories to be able to share around campfires. 
Um, it was fulfilling, but there comes a point where even the most fulfilling thing in the world has an end and it had its end. That's amazing, man. That you, you probably have some of the coolest stories ever for that. You mentioned Operation Underground Railroad. I'm a huge supporter of them too. Donated to them for the last two or three years. Great organization, guys. You should definitely check them out too. Um, you can't really get behind an organization that does things that need to be done more than them, right? Like saving kids and uh, it's oh, powerful stuff. The intense stuff that they're doing. I have no idea how those guys have the presence of mind to do that and not just start slaughtering people. I know, but I know. You know, the best that we can offer is you go to the website, AaronBChapman.com, you can scroll down. I've got a section there for investors. Click to donate. All I'm saying is $50 for every closing that an investor has. Only 50 bucks per house you buy. And every transaction I close for an investor, I donate 50 my goal is a quarter million dollars a year, and I don't intend, I don't intend on ever stopping that process. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the organization, man. Well, listen, Aaron, it's been awesome talking to you, getting to know you. You're a super cool guy with a very interesting and exciting background. A lot of cool things that you've done in your life, been able to see. Uh, as a as a huge NFL fan, I'm a little bit of a fanboy of the fact that you got Anna Terry to sit down and talk to you about some stuff and hang out with them. Very cool. Um, thanks again for doing this, man. I just appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, you've got a lot going on. There are a lot of things you can be doing, but I appreciate that you agreed to do this. And it's just been a blast getting to know you. Well, thank you, Mike. And, and doing this is what I do. Uh, and, and I appreciate the fact that you recognize all that's happening. And But ultimately, being able to share a story that somebody might listen and might give yeah. them just that little bit of nudge to keep going forward. You're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to get knocked to the ground. I believe the last form of natural selection left is those who get up and those who stay down to lick their wounds. Because we have nullified natural selection with medicine yeah. right now. Yeah. We start looking at the history of the human race. Yeah. And we have completely nullified personal responsibility of legislation. What do we have left? the people who do and the people who don't. And my job is to ensure we have more doers than those who don't do. And yeah. the only way I can do that is share my own story, write, write down my life lessons, get other people's life lessons pushed out through the media and just continue and continue and continue until I'm done. I don't plan on retiring. When I go to the grave, I'm coming in hot. And things like this, <laughs> things I'm going to keep doing. That's a good quote. When I go to the grave, I'm coming in hot. <laughs> I like that, go ahead and put it out there. You can quote Aaron Chapman all you want. All right. Uh, that's a quote. Whoever, my production team here, let's, you get that quote out there because and give them credit because that's a good one. I love it, man. All right. Well, yeah, listen, man, ha have a great rest of your week. Have a great rest of your year. Health and happiness to you and your family. Keep fighting the good fight. I love everything you stand for, man. And uh, it's been a blast. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you, brother. All right. We'll talk to you. All right. Well, there you go. Fun guy who does not mince words. He is a smart guy. He's been in this game a long time and he knows what he's talking about. And I love his uh, explanation and strategy of kind of factoring in inflation into your decisions on whether or not you want to buy and hold something. I've never heard it explained quite that way. And I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, but definitely a guy who knows what he's talking about. Go check out his YouTube channel. I'm telling you, I'm going to go there myself. There's no way that's not entertaining and very, very cool to watch. So I can't wait to go check out that uh, that channel. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, but guys, listen, I have fun interviewing these guys. A lot of smart people that I talk to. I get very, very lucky that I can speak to some people that are really, really know what they're talking about and make a difference in their own lives and other people's lives. And, you know, some of the stuff that Aaron talked about that, that him and his wife have done, these rescue missions, like... He's just a cool guy who's done a lot, but he's done it, right? Like he doesn't sit at home and talk about it. He does it. He's a he's an action taker. He he executes on on ideas and that's what I want to encourage all of you to do too. That's why I interview people like this. I want to inspire you to get up and take control of your life. That's the first step. The second step is actually getting out there and going after it every single day no matter what life throws at you. So get out there and get started. Make today the day you change everything for the better. I'll talk to you next time. Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, 
Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over 100 a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number 55444 so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think all right guys talk to you next time